Yo, yo, Albert Tate Podcast. Yo, listen, I'm so excited. So glad you tuned in to this episode and to this season. Um, yo, we've been uh, walking in a whole new reality um, with the coronavirus and COVID-19 and quarantine in different parts of the country. Uh, some more quarantined than others, some becoming quarantined, some coming out of quarantine. Um, in the midst of it all, uh, I wanted to just have a good conversation of encouragement and some hope um, with my friend Danielle Strickland. She always has a word. She's always encouraging. So we jumped out of season for a little bit. We were talking about biggest lessons uh, for 2020. And oh my goodness, we got some coming up. But this week, I want you to tune in to a conversation, friends talking about the kingdom of God, about hope, uh, and about how we're navigating this season. It's going to be a great conversation. Like it, subscribe, share. Ladies and gentlemen, come on into my conversation with my friend, Danielle Strickland. Hey, Albert Tate Podcast family. I have the privilege of sitting with my dear sister girlfriend, Miss Danielle Strickland. <laughs> Welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Albert. It's a joy to be with you, as usual. We've been working trying to get this to happen for a long time, so I'm really excited for us to, for us to talk and chop it up a little bit. Yeah, it took a global pandemic to get us together. <laughs> That's how we got off of planes and actually got to where and sit down somewhere. I love it. I love it. Um, so how have you been doing? First of all, have you just been on Zoom calls? and meetings and hangouts a lot? Have you been spending a lot of time in these squares? Yes, indeed. And actually the first couple weeks of the crisis, I had Corona. So me and my household have been uh, now recovered, mostly, pretty much. And so we're kind of uh, Corona fighters, survivors, whatever it is. And we're uh, taking off. But since I've been well, yeah, I've been looking at a lot of screens for sure. So I saw that online. So how did you get Corona? What, you, know, you know, the first thing I thought about, I'm just going to be honest. I was like, I was just hugging Danielle in Florida uh, when we were at Exponential <laughs> together. And she got Corona? What's going on? So did you get it in Florida? Did you, where, where did did it you get it? No, did I have not gotten get it. it. No, okay. I have not. I've been, well, who knows? I've been I, was in, I was in like about five countries since... You know, when I got like that week, like it was a really crazy travel schedule. So I'm pretty sure I probably just got it from a plane or something. But um, yeah, nobody I was in touch with in Florida was ill. Um, after that, I was in North Carolina at an event and Atlanta. So yeah, you're really not know. sure. So what yeah. happened? How did you, what did you feel? What were the what were the symptoms? How did you how did you determine that you actually got it? to go get a test. What happened? Well, I mean, I got home on Friday night uh, from uh, traveling where things were starting to shut down, you know, where like I it was, I was thrilled to get home on the Friday night thinking I could have been stuck somewhere else. Mm -hmm. And then Sunday morning, I started to get uh, sick, uh, symptomatic. So I just felt feverish, chills, body aches and pain. Like I, and then I went to the website and went through a self-assessment uh, cold headaches, you know, all that kind of stuff, and just uh, phoned the the hotline. Um, 
just to say, like, I think I probably have this because I've got all the, it's yes to everything. Plus I've traveled. So that's kind of like the, and uh, they were like, yeah, you probably do. So the best thing to do is like hot showers, hot tea and, um, you know, Tylenol. And if you have any difficulty breathing, come, you know, immediately to emergency. So I just tried to isolate, but we're in a house. There's three other adults and my husband and three kids in this house. So we were all kind of already then exposed um, mm. because I'd been home and we'd had dinner and, you know, like we we're all in the same close proximity. So we just sort of were like, okay, we're all in this together now. And um, so all of us kind of had it except for the kids. Um, yeah. And so some were mild, like it took a couple days and they felt better. And for me, it took 12 days. It was uh, just, I was sick for 12 days basically. So. Wow. Wow. But no problems with breathing or any of that stuff. No. Yeah. And I think everyone in the household's getting tired of me asking them, you breathing okay? You breathing okay? Because that's the, that's the big thing, isn't it? It's just, you're going to just pay attention to your breathing. Yeah. But all the symptoms have been mild to moderate in our household. We've all been, we've all been fine. Danielle, did you, did you get scared? No, uh, not at all. I, uh, no, just waited it out. I mean, it, you know, I think that the fear is fed as we obsess over the details. Oh, and it kind of, I feel like fear is fed as on a steady diet of sort of like the details of deaths and all that kind of stuff. But I know lots of people who have had it and who've recovered and pretty much it seems like if your breathing is okay, it's like a bad flu and a cold kind of together. Yeah. Um, so I was never afraid, just trying to be aware, but certainly not afraid. Good. The biggest Good. struggle for me is, is the uh, sort of quarantine part of the scenario, not even the being sick part. So just trying to stay away from people has been by far the hardest part. Yeah, because you travel uh, quite a bit, speaking across the country and the world, and is everything just kind of canceled? Are all events and stuff canceled? Are they trying to get you to do videos? What's happening with that world? Yeah, it's a combination of those things. So I'm doing some videos. I set up my uh, little office and my garage that I've got here into sort of a studio. So I'll be doing shooting some videos. I'll be live. I'm on the teaching pastor team at the Meeting House Church here in uh, Toronto. But I'll be going live on Easter Sunday from my garage. So we set all that up. So that's happening this Sunday. And then oh, there's wow. a few, yeah, there's a few sort of like consultation type day training things I was doing that we'll just do via zoom. Uh, and then I'm going to start filming some speaks on request for churches, if it can be helpful to them um, from here, you know, and just see, just to give pastors maybe a break. I think people are really tired and exhausted these days trying to keep up. Um, so I'm going to film a couple of preaches. I think that might be helpful during time and make them available. Yeah. That's a great idea. That's a really great idea. That's really cool. Um, how are you navigating spiritually this season? Um, how, how are you stewarding your soul and engaging with God and the reality of the quarantine reality of the, I mean, the death tolls are, are pretty significant. Um, and it's not just older people. Uh, you've got young people, you got people with immune deficiencies. How, how, as you think about that and, and the impact on the church of not being able to gather, 
how how's your soul uh so two i guess I'm, I'm loading two questions in there personally your own soul navigation but then secondly the impact on the church uh, so uh the first one like i've been practicing a way of life for a couple of years now called infinitum life um it's uh, infinitum is Latin for boundless, and it's a discipleship way, a way of following Jesus and keeping Jesus centered. And uh, it would seem like at this season, this is really helping me because mm. I've been practicing some rhythms, daily, weekly, monthly rhythms uh, and postures that I practice anyway. It doesn't matter where I am in the world. It doesn't require like any kind of special program. So I've been trying to tell people, you know, everyone that I can, that these are all available and they're all free. If it's helpful to anybody to make following Jesus like a daily thing, even right now, you know, you don't need a platform. You don't need a sound system. You don't need a gathering. This is the work of a disciple. You just can follow Jesus. Mm. And so, um, so I do some daily prayers. And one of the things I've been telling a lot of leaders, um, a friend of mine who offers pastoral care to like uh, hundreds and hundreds of leaders was saying she's really phoning every leader she can find and saying, breathe, like deep breaths mm. really matter right now. And mm. I actually practice a breathing prayer called be loved and uh, mm. where I breathe in be, and I just kind of try to fight against function, just breathe in be. And then I breathe out loved and mm. loved first to my body, to my mind. And then I just keep breathing. And as I breathe, I keep uh, inviting the beloved of God to grow. And so I'll mm. breathe out love then to my family. And then I breathe out love to the world. And uh, it was really interesting because I practiced this anyway, but she was saying that when you're in crisis and this is what this is, no matter what, you know, whether you're sick or not, or know anyone who's died or not, this is a crisis because everything's shut down and people are quarantined and your kids are home and your churches and your budgets. And like, everybody's like, ah, it's crisis mode. So she said that your brain, you know, neurologically, you slip into the reptilian place of your brain where you're in fight or flight or freeze. So most of us are like fighting through this fight, flight, freeze. And mm. she said the only way to slip out of that reptilian sort of sense of your brain, which is just total, you just go into survival, uh, survivor mode, is you breathe. And breathing, and we know this if you're an athlete or if you do any sort of physical you know that your breath kind of controls the signals your body sends to your brain. So deep breathing actually signals to your brain that you're okay. And mm. it'll get you out of your, you know, survivor brain and into your, I'm going to make some good decisions today and I'm not going to wow. be overwhelmed and I'm not going to make things out of panic. And I've just been preparing this message for Easter. And I was so, it was just amazing, but Jesus appears to the disciples. Do you remember when they're, it, they're all locked in the room afraid. And yeah. uh, the scripture says, he says, peace be to you. And he breathes on them. And I was just like, wow, like this is so uh, key, you know. It's so good. It's so good. Yeah. Anyway, so I think breathing has really helped me. Like this has been, what's really interesting to me. And I think this is true. Maybe everyone's going to get to this themselves, but everything's changed around you, but you're still the same person. Mm. So all the things that you do or didn't do or did before are all the things that you can do now that will help you cope. And you know what I mean? So like, and yeah. so some people might just need to like dial down into being the person that they want to be, regardless of what circumstances they're in. 
And this is yeah. a great season to do that. And that everything that you decide to do now will matter forever because no matter what the circumstances are, these are practices and rhythms that can help you. Yeah, that's good. That's good. What, as you've thought about the church, as you are part of the church, I think you are, I would consider you a global leader. And when we think of Christian leaders in the church, I, I think your, your name is for sure on that list. What, what are the thoughts concerning the church and the impact that this has? Is it a lasting impact? Is it a seismic shift of who we are and how we get to be and show up in the world? Or in six months, will we go back to being the same way and we'll be back to business as usual? Yeah, I mean, you know, these are things only God knows for for sure. But I do know, you know, there's a continuum that I find most church leaders on. Uh, one, it might this might be partly personality style and how it's affected people. But on one end of the continuum is this like, this is the greatest opportunity for the gospel the world's ever seen. And I think in many cases, it's true. So churches that knew there were ways to get the gospel outside of the walls of their church just could never get around to it because we were so busy with the Sunday moment. And now we're figuring out how to do it um, just because it's the only way we're going to survive. And so they're seeing, you know, like many people that I talk to are seeing many more people tuning in and connecting online than they've ever seen in their attendances ever. So I feel like in one sense, this kind of moment has forced the church to think outside the walls. And maybe in some respects, like, you know, this is the kind of catalytic thing we need to get to the next, you know, how do we think outside of the four walls of the church? Um, so I think on, on one day, if you ask me, I'll think this is the greatest opportunity. It's unprecedented as a catalyst for the church thinking outside of this Sunday moment and this four walls of the church. This is what we were always, and, you know, if you look through history, you know, churches thrive when they can't gather, which I think is fascinating. Yeah. So whether it's the early church in the Roman Empire where it wasn't safe to gather, or whether it's China, you know, where it's not safe to gather, they the church thrives in that setting because, of course, the gathering's not the point. And so when you get rid of the thing that's not the point, then all of a sudden you have the thing that is the point. And what is the point? You know, it's like the presence of Christ among us. It is discipleship. It is following Jesus. It is practicing spiritual habits and rhythms that actually are transformational. It's like dealing with fear, like real fear and real struggle. So that's where like one day I'll be like, this is unprecedented. It's like, and I'll just get like, wait, like, let's do this. And like, and then on another day, I think people on the other side of the continuum, people just are like anxious, worried, you know, exhausted, tired. They're on such a steep learning curve. They just want it to end. Everything's unfamiliar and unnatural. So it feels like we're all using our left hand uh, and we're right-handed, you know, and that's just exhausting because it's work, 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 work. So I feel like depending on the day, and this could even be hours. And then also I would say on this side of the continuum is also a deep grief of what we've lost, um, yeah. you know, and that's real. I mean, people are losing their jobs. People are losing income. Church budgets are plummeting. Uh, you know, like I'm a, you know, I'm a global speaker and my calendar is clear till September now. So, um, you know, that's, a, that's it. Like, that's all, <laughs> that's all she wrote. That's, that's the, uh, and so in, in some respects, like there's grief in that and there's struggle in that. Um, yeah in my own heart, there's also a great gift in that because it actually asks me good questions. Like, why do I do what I do? And, um, you know, it burns away the unnecessary thing. So I think, 
Yeah, it, this will forever mark the church and mark the world. I think we're we're definitely living through a crisis that's going to be like a before and an after crisis where we're mm. always going to be like, remember life before this? And so it'll, it'll be a defining moment in our culture. There's no doubt about it for me. But um, but how it defines the church, I think that's up to us. Yeah. I think that's up mm. to us. That's good. That's so good. That's so good. You released a book. Tell us a little how bit women about... women and men can heal the divide. Yeah. 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 Tell us a little bit about that. The book was, yeah. So the book was, I mean, I've had a whole life uh, sort of of trying to get women out of sexual exploitation and then having a family full of boys. Um, And so uh, when I was, I was asked by the global leadership summit to speak at the, the summit uh, just a a few, a month or a couple of weeks after Bill Hybels had been publicly accused of uh, harassment with women that he had worked with over many years. And it was not just Bill Hybels. I mean, for that event, it was specifically uh, tragic and uh, horrible. And again, survivor mode, like crisis for GLS in many respects and many of the people that uh, highly esteemed Hybels as a leader. Um, So again, like flight, fight, you know, a freeze sort of responses that we were in. And I was asked to come and speak at that event just specifically on men and women leading together and working together in light of all that stuff going on. So it was a pretty tense moment. And I really had to do a lot of homework uh, around, I wanted to get that right. (laughs) You know, I really wanted to get that right because I think that when there's a crisis that it can really do damage, we can revert to our survivor instincts which in this case would just only be terrible for both men and women in the church, or we could, or we could take the crisis as a means of learning and moving forward to help make a better world. And so when I, when I chose to do it, which it was a great honor to do, I feel like that's what leaders do. They speak faith into the midst of fear. They speak hope into the midst of despair. Like they speak, they give a way forward. That is the gospel. That's what we do. But uh, there was so much controversy around it, you know, like I had a lot of pushback from friends and justice advocates and people, uh, you know, just basically on social media saying, how can you do that? It feels like you're justifying or, you know, that you're on the side of the oppressor. And, um, you know, I had one person ask me, you know, how can you stand and speak on a stage that was built by misogyny? And I remember saying to them, like, can you point me to another stage? Like, let's be honest, like I haven't found a stage that hasn't been built on misogyny. Let's at least be honest. But so good I think uh, I realized that there comeback. was, well, cause we all love the scapegoat too, don't we? Like we yeah. all love to think, oh, the problem's out there as though Bill Hybels is the problem instead of actually there's a whole model of leadership. That's the problem. And yeah. the churches everywhere struggle with this problem. So just the idea, like people just love making the problem outside of them instead of inside of them. But So uh, I realized if that was the tension I was feeling and I was already pretty strong and confident and set in my, imagine the tension everyone's feeling. And, um, and then I had 27 minutes to talk about this issue. And just, of course, the more you dig into an issue like this, which is like, I think one of the deepest wounds of the human experience, um, there's so much more to say. Uh, And so that's the, that was the catalyst for the book. How did that moment go? How did you how how did you capture in twenty seven minutes something so heavy? How did how did the moment go? 
You know, I think the moment went really well. I mean, I think the grace of God was uh, with us. And then uh, one of the parts of the story I don't often tell is that I had actually had a invitation from God in my own personal devotions. I was praying for the summit because uh, I had already spoken there and friends with uh, lots of those people and just love partnering with them. And of course, even with Bill Hybels as a leader, just praying that uh, God would be present. And, and then I just felt the Lord said to me, you should offer to help. You should offer to help. And so I was writing an email in response, like just to be obedient to the Lord um, saying like, Hey guys, like I'm praying for you. And if there's anything I can do to help what I thought was like, I don't know, like on social media or like, like something, or like, I don't know what I thought, but I just was being obedient to God. And literally in the middle of the email, um, they called GLS called me and said, we just got out of a prayer meeting and we just really felt like the Lord wanted us to ask you if you would be willing to come speak on the issue. And so, you know, that happened right at the same, I hadn't sent the email yet. It was, I was in the middle of writing it. So it just felt like God was like, there's a moment here and something that needs to be said. So I just really, and that's really helped me through the controversy and even through the moment, because I just was like, I'm just going to do what God told me to do. Like, that's all any of us have, right? That's all any of us have is just to do what God told us to do. So it felt to me just like an obedient moment. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Danielle, how do you deal with the critics who, as you, I see you as a bridge builder. I see you um, doing life and showing up in spaces. Um, You don't have your tribe crosses over theological boundaries, religious, cultural deals. You just kind of play, you play in different sandboxes and it's cool. But how do you deal with the criticism of those that say, yo, you're betraying women by engaging in that, or you're selling out, or, uh, or the vice versa, or you're too, you're too liberal, you're too feminist with your stuff? How do you deal with the critics um, and the negative feedback? Well, on one level, I don't get much negative feedback, so that's super helpful. I think other people tell me about some negative feedback, but I'm like, I never got it, so it's all good. Uh, So maybe just like be less available. I don't know. Um, On another level, though, I think for me, one of the things I admire most about Jesus was the way that he lived. And I feel like the way that he lived uh, matched the way that he spoke so that there, and that's where the power was, even in what he said, was the way that he lived. And so I think for me in my life, what I'm after is not popularity. Um, I'm after integrity. Like I'm after mm. like a, a real life, a real experience. So I'm okay with like, I don't really need to be, I don't even know how to measure success apart from obedience. So I think in my life, like as long as I can be obedient, like, so if the GLS had have said, can you speak at the summit, but not say these things, I probably would have said no. Um, And the same would be true of any other sort of things. Like if they were central things to what I feel like God wanted me to say or to bring, then the answer would be no. But um, that, that, that's, that's, that's it. That's all I've got. That's all I want to do. Right. That's beautiful. Speak a truth that has some power. Yeah. 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 I mean, I don't think there's any awards or anything, right. For like most popular speakers. Like what's, I mean, what are we doing? I mean, what, like, what is the point if it doesn't have any power or transformational, 
you know, or a demonstration of power. Anyway. No, that's so good. That's so good. How do you deal with um, people who theologically disagree with women and have a restrictive view of women um, in leadership? Are they are they wrong or do they have a just a different perspective and you can agree to disagree? How do you approach that theologically of people who are who would have a, the a reverse opinion or perspective or translate passages and texts differently? Do you see that as wrong or do you see them as just different? Yeah, well, I see them as wrong because I'm a woman and um, <laughs> so there's that. But I think that just because I would disagree or see somebody as interpreting things wrong, it doesn't give me license to treat people badly. So I'm not, I don't see anybody as an enemy. I actually literally think there are no human enemies. I'm a peacemaker. This is what Jesus called us to demonstrate. So I'm not against anyone and no one is against me. Um, but I am going to pray for them to have a fuller revelation of the scriptures. I think that's the very least I can do. So I would try to recommend, uh, try to push them towards uh, the freedom of the gospel and what the good news is trying to do. And if the good news isn't setting us free from division and hierarchy and sin and fear, then what on earth is the good news doing? Um, So I just, I think that I would definitely be an instigator towards a fuller revelation of the gospel, just because I think it actually is a gospel issue. I don't think it's an additional issue. I think it would be like, you know, I I think it'd be the same as racism, sexism. They're the same intersection. And to say that the gospel does not impact the way we treat each other and the way that we're able then to freely use our gifts um, is to actually neuter the gospel to some weird super spiritual experience without any, you know, practical implications in our lives. So I think yeah. it's a gospel issue. So that's why I couldn't really just go like, oh, I agree to disagree with you. I mean, it would be in the early church, it would be the same, you know, conversation around Gentiles and circumcision and, you know, and even um, slaves and free and all that kind of stuff. And I mean, the, you know, the gospel writers are so clear in saying like, this is a central, I mean, Paul called the good news, the ministry of reconciliation. Like this is the, this breaking down of all the barriers uh, and restrictions is the gospel. And so I think it's a gospel issue. It's a central issue. So I would respect and I would love and I would pray and I would, you know, but I certainly would push people towards a deeper, freer, fuller revelation of the gospel. That's so good. That's so good. And I love the posture of heart in that. Well, a couple more questions. I know you got, another zoom call to get to or some, some other thing you got to do. Are you writing anything new right now, by the way? Are you, what are you working on? Okay. So I'm writing a, a new book um, and I'm writing right now on people that have impacted me. So just these crazy stories of like grandmas visiting brothels and like mentally ill drug addicts who taught me a lot about Jesus to like, you know, these martyr, Russian martyrs on the Black Sea. I met this guy, 88 years old, Vladimir Mikhailovich, who basically I think got souls and eats and saved and spent a week at his house. And so I just, I have all these like really amazing, cool experiences. And I, I, people who have really taught me so much about faith and love and Jesus and open-handedness. And I just thought like, 
I just like to tell people about all the beautiful people in the world, you know, just the celebration of beautiful people. So I don't know. Uh, it hasn't completely shaped up yet. I think something around encounter and beauty and people, uh, but mm-hmm. uh, that's what I'm writing. Wow. That sounds amazing. I can't wait to get the then book. If- Albert, when you, when you use some of my stories, you can get them right. That's part exactly. of the... Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> I was about to say, and that's one of the reasons why I get it. So I can get just a wealth of illustrations. Like, oh my right. goodness. You are, <laughs> oh my goodness. You are a wealth of them. Um, yeah. Well, thanks so much for hanging out with me. Tell me, you talked about your um, infinitism. Tell me where people can go and learn. Go ahead. Help me yeah. say it right. Yeah, infinitum. Infinitum. Sometimes it helps infinitum. people say it that way. Yeah. Yeah, it's, infinitum. You have to be really serious to get to it. That's how we, we made it hard so that only make it hard to even say people it. would come. Right. <laughs> I-N-F-I-N-I-T-U-M. Infinitum. Uh, infinitumlife.com. So um, you can go there. There's an app, Infinitum. It'll send you daily prompts and prayers and there's some accountability, uh, encouragement, sort of, we call it spiritual friendship uh, that's built into the way of Jesus. You know, nobody ever does this alone. We weren't meant to. So trying to find somebody to journey with spiritually and questions there you can ask each other. And uh, there's version Bible apps. If that's helpful, there's some infinitum journey stuff on there. Uh, and then soon we'll have a, a course, a spiritual course on the postures. So the three postures of infinitum are surrender, generosity, and mission. We think that's what love looks like lived out. So surrender towards God, uh, generosity, even towards ourselves and towards our neighbor. And then mission is an others focused life. So looking, mm. uh, not keeping ourselves at the center of our lives. And we're doing a, on the Beatitudes, we're doing a deep dive course uh, and it'll be available probably today or tomorrow. So be available really soon for people to, to take if they like to go deeper into surrender, deeper into generosity and deeper into mission as a lifestyle. So lots of, oh, wow. lots of really beautiful depth there. Yeah. Now, are you teaching this course or the, someone from in, Infinitum is doing it? Are you doing it? Yeah. So it's, uh, I'm doing some of it and Aaron White is one of the, the main teachers on the video series um, but him and I actually have a podcast that's built into the course. So we actually discuss every session. So, uh, and then there's workbooks and there's ways uh, for groups to work through it together. But I think it'll be really meaningful for people to take the teachings, central teachings of Jesus and really try to move a bit deeper into living a life that uh, Jesus asked of us. It's, it's uh, just going through the course myself in terms of creating it was so meaningful for me. I can't wait for people to, to go a little deeper. That's so good. I just did a teaching a series where I went through the Beatitudes, transformative. Like if you if you fulfill the Beatitudes, that's the ball game. It's like if you do nothing else, if you do that, you hit every area in your life that God is trying to get after. Like it is it it revolutionized my whole concept of 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 who I am and who God's calling me to be and how to show up in the world. So they it's heavy. So I can't wait to look at your stuff. Because then I'm going to add that to my stuff, and I'm going to have me a course going on. It's going to be amazing. (laughs) Yeah, and Albert, I mean, even better, just take it, use it. I mean, go ahead. You can have it. I mean, it's it's a, yeah, it's meant really to help people just go a little deeper, you know. And what a great season for us to do that. Yeah. 
Big time. Well, love you so much, Danielle. Thank you so much for jumping on the podcast. Make sure you get her book, Better Together, out now. I'm sure wherever books are sold, you can pick it up um, and check it out. And thank you so much for, for hanging out with me, Danielle. This is good. You're welcome, Mr. Tate. It was an honor. <laughs> All right. Thank you for tuning in to this week's episode of the Albert Tate Podcast. To stay connected, make sure to subscribe to the Albert Tate channel, rate and review this episode, and make sure to share on your social media platforms. You can follow along with Albert on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube.